Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to another live broadcast of Spirituality Today with Jamie Sanders and Denise Jurgen. I'm your host, Jamie Sanders, coming to you from Unity of Pensacola in Pensacola, Florida, along with my outstanding co-host, Denise Jurgen, coming to us from Unity of Music City in Nashville, Tennessee. We are excited to come together with you again to talk about spirituality, to talk about life, about becoming more awake and more engaged and being the powerful spiritual beings that we have been created to be. So we start off by saying good afternoon, Denise, and how are things in your world? Well, you know, I will tell you that it is hot, 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 hot in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> it is the, the temperature is up and it is very humid. And I am next week going to actually Panama City, beach with my parents and my sons and their wives and i am looking forward to just sitting in the water and cooling off how you're about pensacola be, well, it's hot but you're going to be awful close you know if you're in panama city that's only i know i need to bebop over and say hello to you don't i i know but or at least let's meet halfway somewhere that would be a good thing that would be an awesome thing but you know, Nashville, Tennessee is a is a thriving place. Again, I think we talked about this last time, but I was in a chamber of commerce meeting the other day and they said that there is between fifty to ninety people average moving to Nashville, Tennessee every day. And I'm like, Where in the world are we gonna put them all? Wow. Can you imagine? Uh- that that's an awful lot of people pouring in and i already know when i'm in nashville the traffic stresses me out but i love being there you know yes well and what i will say is and i'm so glad that they picked up nashville the show again you know that has really spurred a lot of things in the nashville area and of course there are people that don't necessarily like some of the progress that's happening and some of the new buildings and everything but you know, it's good for Nashville. It's good for the economy. It's good for jobs. It's good for a lot of things. And we're a pretty cool place to be in. So we're becoming more and more diverse and more and more open, which is a very good thing. So I'm happy to be here right now, at least, anyway. Well, I'm glad Nashville got picked up. It's my favorite TV show. So I, I did the happy dance all over the living room when I heard <laughs> that it was coming back. So, you know, one of the things I want to talk about today, I mean, for you and I I love doing the thing in the beginning. A lot of times we have Coach Carla on and she was booked today to do something else. But when you and I get to dialogue a little bit before we bring on our guest co-host. But one of the things I'd like for you and I to discuss is about spiritual directness, which is about for me, like cutting to the chase with ourselves and and others when dealing with counseling or even self-observation, telling the truth and telling it quickly, so to speak. So what's your take on it as minister and as a coach? I know that you are direct, uh, just like I am. Is it spiritual? Is it kind when we have to call a thing a thing, as Ian Levanzant says? (laughs) 
call a thing a thing. Well, you know, it's very interesting that I, on Wednesdays before I get on uh, the show with you, I have a group of people that meet here that call themselves the Lunch Bunch, and we always have a book that we're studying, and we eat lunch together, and it's just a really sweet group of people. And we were talking about this, about how to be direct when somebody asks you a question, and do they really want an answer, or do they just want to vent? And I think that that happens in the realm of being a minister and sitting with congregants, whether you are coaching them or whether you're counseling them. And so one of the things I generally say to people, because I've learned the hard way, when people ask me a question, many times they don't really want to know. They just want me to make them feel better or say, well, honey, bless your heart or whatever they want me to say is I generally will come back with, you know, what I can do is tell you what I believe and tell you what unity and this new thought way of life teaches. Is that okay with you? Because many, many times, and I know it's probably happened with you, I have been blunt or honest with people, and then later I have heard many, many tales of what I may have said or may not have said or how ugly I was or how nasty I was. I heard one time that I stood in the hallway and screamed at somebody for 10 minutes, and I thought, well, you know, I'm a soprano vocalist i'm not going to scream anywhere for 10 minutes because i'd be afraid it would mess up my throat so you know it's interesting (laughs) i don't like you that much to be screaming at you for 10 minutes i you know it's like what people's perceptions of when they hear you speak the truth i think sometimes they know it's the truth but then they get affected in a negative way and then they're mad at you because you spoke it does that answer your question on any level absolutely because you know what's the old thing about don't shoot the messenger people get angry when you know you say something either when you're the keynote speaker at an event or you're doing the sunday service you say something and it it awakens within them that they probably are not giving their highest and best to life and Mm -hmm. so they get angry and so my thing is you know really i'm the greatest teachers i've ever had they really, and I mean it with love, but they, they hit me right between the eyes with truth and called, told me to snap out of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Instead of, oh, come here, I let do, me because I just got back from the International Unity Conference, and I <clears throat> sat in a workshop with Ed Wein, and for the last 30 minutes, she opened it up for questions, and she would, and I thought, oh, people, and she would ask people to come to the front, and they would have a microphone, and there was a question that somebody, a minister, I think, I don't know, came to the front and talked about and said, I have a board member that does not tithe, and do I need to ask them to be on the board any longer, or do I need to ask them to get off? And, you know, she, you know how she'll look at people funny, and she does that little sucking air thing, and then mm-hmm. she said, sugar? And when I heard her say sugar, I thought, oh, everybody gird yourself, because <laughs> here it comes, you know. And I love Edwin because she shoots straight with everybody, you know. Yeah. And I thought, and that person, when they left, I thought, I wonder if they've ever even experienced Edwin before. Because she is somebody that I like to model myself after. I'm like, okay, I want to be her when I grow up. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, and you know that's when I was just with her this past weekend. So she came from the conference, went right home, right. And, and we had a retreat. And so one of the things that that has always drawn me to her, and and the same thing with some of my other teachers, they're not um, they're not really concerned whether or not people like them. Right. And they do what they're called to do. They teach, and, you know. And I, and I I really want to be that way. And, and I want to be to the point that I'm, oh, you don't like what I said? If, you know, I think spirit reveals to us when we are out of alignment. I think spirit will say, you know, you could have done that a little different. You could have been a little right. kinder in your <laughs> delivery. But I have yes. learned, don't waste my time. If you're not willing to do the work, please don't come and, and sit at, at my feet, so to speak, in my classes or in my Sunday service and then complain that the, the principles aren't working. You know, it's like you right. either are working the principles or, or, you know, and you say, my life doesn't work. Okay, what are you doing? What do you bring to the table? And so right. I love, I mean, there was a, an event that happened this past weekend that was so powerful to me that it literally was like electricity went through my body. And I haven't quite figured out what I'm speaking on Sunday, but I know I have to tell this story because it touched me. But one of the people got up to share and and she she said, you know, I mean, it was it was quite comical to all of us, but she said, I'm I'm scared of you. <laughs> and everybody did that little nervous laugh. And Edwin turned and looked at her. And this is the part that blew me away, Denise. She said, <laughs> you should be scared of me because <laughs> I this is the part that got me. You should be scared of me because I love you enough to tell you the truth. And right. others won't. It, it would right. blew me away because for years I've heard people say, well, I go, well, why didn't so-and-so come tell me? Well, they're intimidated. Well, that's the same thing as saying they're scared of you. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm never mean, but I realize some people, you know, what was it in that movie? You can't handle the truth. Right. Some people are right. scared to bring it to us because they know that we're going to turn it back in principle and say, this is about who you are. This is about how you are showing up. So what I said to you before we got on the air was, I truly believe that there are some people who want to be spanked. They're just right. waiting for someone to tell them to go sit down and be quiet right. and quit mm-hmm. bitching and complaining about your life and take some notes and do some work to clean up your mess. And sure. that to me is that jolts you into awakenness, you know? Well, and you know, sometimes it takes that two by four over your head, you know, for you to get it. And I know because before I became a minister, I was a therapist. Sometimes the most therapeutic thing that a counselor can do is piss somebody off in a session. Now, that's not fun, but you realize that they are stuck. And I I realize that about congregants sometimes. You know that they, they just keep circling around. It's like when you're in an airplane and you haven't landed yet, but you just keep circling around and circling around because the tower hasn't said that you can land. And, and I have congregants that will circle around and circle around and circle around and never really put feet on what's going on. They just keep circling around the principles and circling around them. And it's like at some point in time, I have to do something, say something that pushes them off center to help them realize that they're stuck. And I truly believe that that's part of being a minister or being a spiritual leader. You know, one of the things I remember that she said very succinctly that Edwin said in the workshop is that if you are a minister or a spiritual leader, you are not there for people to like you. 
And I was like, wow, cool, you know, because I know, I don't know about you, but in the beginning I thought, well, I need to try to be nice to this person, and oh my, I don't know what this person needs, and it's that's not what my job is. My job is to help people expand their consciousness. And some people have been stuck in such a rut for so long to expand their consciousness. I'm going to have to get out a crowbar and jam them out of where they are, and it's not going to be pleasant. You know, I call myself a spiritual midwife. And one of the things I say to people in the process is that, you know, just like birthing a baby, some of this is going to hurt. And some of it's going to get really messy before we get this baby born, you know, because you wouldn't be here studying these principles and talking to me if you weren't wanting a different way of living. And so that's just kind of my baseline information to people when they come in and work with me. It's not going to be Denise and you having tea and crumpets and sitting and talking about shit. I mean... We're, we're going to be here working together. The other piece that I try to share with people is that if you come to Unity, a Unity church, or even some other church, you can't just do this on Sunday. You can't just come in on Sunday and get the big old nice feeling thing and sing a bunch of nice songs and go home. This is something that you have to dig deeper than that to get. Does yeah, that make sense you know, the- to you? Well, you know, the whole thing that the 12-steppers say about it works if you work it, and I always say, and it won't if you don't. Right, right, right. Because there are so many people that I have had come through my ministry, and I literally say come through my ministry because they don't stay long. Because in the beginning, people go, oh, this feels so good, this is fun, you know, because we have a high-energy service, and everybody's excited, and everybody runs around and loves on each other and hugs each other, and it's something so very different. But then when they begin to realize that there's not a Savior out there that's going to fix it for them, that this is a way of life that you have to step into and live yourself, then they go, oh, you know, I, I'd rather pray to something out there that's going to remove all of this mess from my life and save me or whatever it is that they think. And so they think it's a little hard, you know. I don't know if you have any people like that occasionally that come through that you get to talk to. I do. And the, the interesting thing to me, and, and I think we, you and I have discussed this before, I made a choice after it took me like 12 years to get it. Mm-hmm. But I made a choice that if, if people leave this church and they do not tell me why they're leaving or they do not say goodbye, I do not hunt them down to ask them what was wrong. <laughs> and sometimes the board, the board members. That, that right. gives me an interesting picture of you and I yes. both out there hunting people down. <laughs> but the board members would say, don't you think you should call them? Absolutely not. We teach accountability. We teach being a responsible spiritual being. If you have an issue. We cannot heal it. It cannot be revealed to begin to heal if you're not willing to communicate with me what the issue is. And so I say bless them and release them. And because Dr. Barbara and Edwin both told me that next week there'll be someone in that seat who means business with their spirituality. This is not a drive-by clinic. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's an awesome thought. This is not a drive-by clinic. Yeah. 
But some people well, treat it. Well, and you that know way. what I used to say to people is this is not a, a drop in of like a spiritual Walmart seeker. You know, what's on <laughs> special today? What are we going to get? And run off to the next thing. It's like, you know, the people that unity or new thought changes their life are the people that really dig into the principles and begin to live them. And, you know, I guess probably it is no different than any other kind of spiritual practice because um, the lunch bunch was just, we're, we're finishing up, we've got one more week of, we've been reading Eat, Pray, Love, and I just love that story and hadn't read it in a long time. And, you know, the whole sec- middle section is about her going to India and learning how to meditate. And, you know, I have people that come to our church and they've never meditated. And then they want to learn, but they want to meditate like somebody who's been doing that for 20 or 30 years. And I'm like, you know, in the beginning, I found that, you know, even myself, I was sitting and scratching and snorting and carrying on. It's like it takes you a while because living the unity way of life is a practice. And it's a practice that you have to do every day in the same way that you might practice the piano or practice, you know, playing ball or practice something for the Olympics. And if you quit doing it, it's not going to work for you anymore. Right. Yeah, I like it. I like it with my teachers. I mean, I mean, one of my issues, and I try to be so mindful of it, is don't tell another person what they're thinking or what they're feeling, but to right. ask questions. I have learned that by asking the questions, you know, and I'll even say to the congregation, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm right. asking you so that you ask yourself. And if I have someone in counseling, I do the same thing. Let me ask you a question. If someone came to you today and told you this story, what would you say to them? And it right. stumps a lot of people because they say, well, I guess I would have to tell them they probably should, you know, detach and move on. Hallelujah. Right. You know, and, you know, so take your own advice and realize this does not serve me any longer and bless what it was and move on. Call the moving van. You know what I mean? Right. So. Most definitely. You know, I, I belong to a group in, in our city that's called the Spiritual Friends Network. And I've belonged for several years, and what it is is a group of, some of them are ministers, and some of them are what I consider lay leaders in many different religious organizations in town. And some of the people that come have degrees or certifications in something called spiritual formation. Have you ever heard of that? Uh-huh. I have. I don't remember what exactly the details. And it's pretty interesting because as I hear them talking about it, it's kind of the same thing we're talking about. And they may work in the Methodist church or the or some sort of a Presbyterian church or whatever, but it's it's a process of teaching people how to become spiritually mature. And that's what I think we are talking about here. It's like how do we take people and move them from learning about these principles to really putting them into practice. And I think that's the place where some people are in some of our congregations or that we may work with in coaching or counseling. It's like it's one thing to be able to spout off a bunch of principles, but it's a whole other thing to say when I'm in the middle of this situation – this principle would work for me. 
and that's a whole different way of living your life and it's a more mature way of living your life and it takes it takes working with somebody like you or I or a coach or somebody that is going to be honest and say what might you have done differently in this situation that might have given a different result sometimes that feels good sometimes that doesn't feel good because we all are human and many times we want to blame the other people it's all their fault or it's all my fault or it's all somebody else's fault when maybe if I Uh, One of the things that I say a lot in my congregation is if you will take a 35,000-foot look at your life, what do you see? Because when I'm in the middle of a situation, I can't see anything but that situation. But if I rise above it, I'm, I'm looking at it from a whole different perspective, and sometimes a whole new world starts appearing, and I go, oh, wow. I could have had a V8 instead of this, whatever this nasty thing is that I just got through having. So I, I think sometimes our job is helping people change some of their beliefs and some of their actions and some of the ways they show up. And I think the beauty in all of that, and I would I would love to hear what you have to say, is Every time I sit and work with somebody, not only am I working with them, but I'm working with me. Because sometimes some of the most amazing truths just flow out of my mouth, and I know that it's Holy Spirit working in me, and I think, wow, where did that come from? And, of course, then I think, oh, well, that was for them, but it's also for me. I needed to hear that because of a situation that I might have in my own world. So I think that's one of the beauties of doing what we do all the time. Yeah, I've, I often say um, on Sunday mornings, people will say after church, you know, oh, you were talking to me, and it was like talking to you. You just happened to be here. <laughs> I was talking to me. You know, you just I say that every audience. Sunday morning, yes. It's just you it's know? awesome. It's like, yeah, I was here talking to myself. Because <laughs> people will come in for counseling and they'll leave and you know, and I'll say to my administrator, Holy moly, I think I got more out of it than they did and you know, I have to laugh, but you you realize that there is a higher power flowing through us and the right and perfect words will come. And yes. I, it blows me. It still blows me away. And I've been doing this for a while, like you have, and I still go, "Thank you, God. Thank you, God." Mm-hmm. You know. I tell people in our congregation that go through training to become uh, chaplains. I say, you know, just know that you know when you start stepping into this process of sitting with people and praying and talking with them. You know, you think you're there to be with those other people, but really and truly, this is Holy Spirit completely, you know, working inside of you in a whole different kind of a way. So, you know, sometimes they don't really get it in the beginning, but then after a few months, they'll go, you were right. I'm like, yeah, I was. <laughs> and, but even the thing on the spiritual directness, I think that a lot mm-hmm. of people think, and I'm doing the air quotes, is about that's not very nice. I still say some of my greatest teachers did not pussyfoot around and would call you out. And I think Mm -hmm. sometimes Holy Spirit doesn't always show up as rosebuds and says, come here and let me rock you in the rocking chair. Right, 
Right. You agree? Well, again, I, I bring up Edween because I know anytime she comes to our congregation, sometimes some of the things she says to me, I'm like, oh, Lord, mercy, all righty. You know, but I appreciate that because I hear that. It's almost like somebody just slapping you upside the face. But sometimes we need that. We need that wake-up call. And I think unfortunately or fortunately that some of us who have stepped in and said yes to the call of ministry we get the one, get to be the ones that say those kinds of statements that sometimes just plop people i know i do that sometimes in the middle of service on sunday and then i think oh that really just came out of my mouth okay yay but you know it's like it's a god moment and i know that there are people that needed to hear that or it wouldn't have come out of my mouth so yeah, I do think this whole spiritual journey, that's why I try to make it so clear to people that, you know, people may be tuning into the show or people, like you say, walk into your ministry the first time, and they don't quite know what this is about. And so right. I try to remind them in the service that we're not talking about your religion. We're not talking about uh, denominational dogma. We're talking about the God within you. And it's right. not the hokey pokey thing where you got to, you know, you do your <laughs> left foot in, left foot out, but it's about... You, I think we all know on a deeper level when we're out of alignment with kindness and compassion. At my energy engaging with that vibration, you know, and so I, I just have to go, okay, I'm going to watch. I'd rather watch a video of a song that opens my heart chakra than yes. to watch people fist fighting and yelling and screaming at the top of their lungs. That does not stimulate me in any way. And so that's why I go, we have to do the work to go, you know what, if I keep doing what I've always done, I keep I'm doing keep what I always it. got. But, and we want to <laughs> blame everybody else. Well, I married my third wife. And she mm-hmm. stole all my money like the first two. And you go, hello. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yes. <laughs> Most definitely. I mean, it's, you know, I can't imagine doing anything else than what we do. I mean, I've done many things in my life. And most everything that I've done, I would say, is part of ministry. But being able to be with people when they are, you know, deciding the spiritual direction they want to go in their lives is such a magical thing to watch people expand their consciousness and really get something and completely change their lives. I've worked with people that, you know, I know over the last 17, 18 years have totally changed who they are and how they show up and their whole life has changed. And it's, it's, sometimes just overwhelming to me to watch that and go, wow, you know, I had a little bit of part in that, of holding the space for them to do all that. It's such a blessing to do, even though sometimes, yes, we get to say the hard things and be the bearer of not very interesting tidings at times. So do you, on this whole thing about spiritual directedness, I mean, do you, do you think, um, I know I can be, I can be really tough on myself. My administrator mm-hmm. tell me you are you are harder on yourself than the congregation or board would ever be that you're right. constantly reviewing and checking. So, 
I mean, I do that too. I say, okay, what is this really about? And you, you've got to go sit down and shut your mouth and breathe. And, right. and I, know, I know you do that to yourself, but I don't know that a lot of people get that and realize you and I, being ministers, coaching, whatever, we still have to do that stuff to maintain our own sanity. Well, I'm constantly checking myself. You know, and probably the person that knows that the most is the person that we're getting ready to bring on on the air because I live with her every day is Judy Blackwelder. But she knows me at that level, and sometimes she can see that I am – I don't get in really bad places anymore, but that I'm in some angst about something. You know, it might be a board meeting that I had or some other leadership thing or somebody that I feel like, oops, maybe I was a little bit too rough right here or something, and she will watch me and finally say, Denise, you've got to cut yourself some slack because I will almost like personally interrogate myself and go, you know, I could have said this, I could have done this, I could have been nicer, I could have blown blah, 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 blah. And at some point in time, I have to just go, okay, let's just let this go. Because obviously, you know, God means this for some good somewhere along the way. And so I just have to keep moving forward. So yes, I probably am harder on me than anybody else would ever be, most definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, speaking of which, she is, Judy is on the switchboard, so we're going to move into this this next segment for those of you who are listening. So our guest co-host today is one of those people that I absolutely just fell in love with the moment I met her. She is uh, so down to earth. She is talented. She is, she's funny. And I know that most of those of you who know her, you feel the same way I do. Dr. Judy Blackwelder is an outstanding musician. She's a gifted songwriter, high school band teacher, and is the music director at Unity of Music City in Nashville, Tennessee. She also happens to be the partner of my co-host and is a light to all of those that know her. We are pleased to have her joining us today to lead us in our topic of discussion around the power of music. So, Denise, before we bring her on, is there anything you'd like to add to that intro about this wonderful person? Well, I will have to say that I feel like that I am probably one of the most blessed ministers. Um, You know, I could say something like, I get to sleep with my music minister, so I get what I want on Sunday morning. That might not be what everybody wants to hear, but I usually say that to people because people will come to our church or I've had, we've we've done workshops at conferences with other ministers, and they're like, how in the world do you have this kind of music that just, and you've been to our church, we, we make sure the music weaves in and out of the service, and last Sunday we had two different music guests, and we made sure that their music weaved in and out of my lesson and everything worked just perfectly. And I'll just look at them and grin and go, I sleep with the music minister. And they'll just look <laughs> at me like, you do what? And I'll go, I sleep with the music minister. But I I say that in a loving kind of a way. I used to be the music minister at this church, and I had a meeting with the minister every week for two hours, and we talked about strategies. We talked about music. We talked about what her lesson was going to be about. We talked about what she wanted, and I think that that is a really awesome way for ministers and music ministers to work. I'm not saying everybody has to sleep with their music minister, but I am saying that there needs to be, because I think music is that important to your service. 
So I hope that Dr. Judy hears how blessed I feel having her be the music minister of Unity of Music City and how much easier that makes my job. Absolutely. So, Judy, how do you feel here in all this as we're talking about you? Wow. Uh, <laughs> actually, I'm still trying to get over this visualization I have of, of you and Denise in camouflage clothes going out to track down people who have left the church. Because <laughs> that's where my, I, I got in on the show about the time you all were talking about, about that. So, you know, that's where my, my visualization went. Um You know, I I can't even begin to say enough about the power of music, and I understand that, and I know that it can make or break a service, and it can take you where you want to go, or it can take you where you don't want to go. So it's like, you know, Denise and I are fortunate that we we can talk about the upcoming Sunday and, and what she really wants it to be like musically, we talk on and off about it all week long. Um, the other thing that is great that maybe some people do not know about, Denise is a fabulous musician herself. So we have a just plethora. Uh, we have a treasure chest of things to draw from between the two of us and, and can usually make it work, you know, one way or yeah. the other. Yeah, one of the things that people may not know, and correct me if I'm not correct on this, but, you know, most churches – um, use other people's music. One of the things about Unity of Music City is I, I think it's the majority of the music at that church is written by you. Is that correct? The majority of it is because it, it's, if I can't find something, if we can't find something or hadn't heard something that will uh, bring out the lesson topic, then I just write something. Um, and that usually works. It usually works. And you know the other piece, Jamie, that sometimes uh, ministers don't really begin to think about is um, it depends on where you live and the culture that you're in, but we are in Nashville, Tennessee. We pay a licensure just like a restaurant or just like a theater or anybody else would do to allow us to use other people's music on the stage on Sunday morning. But at any given moment, the person who wrote that piece of music might be in our sanctuary or somebody in their family. And so to keep us in the up and up and making sure that things are flowing in the way that we want them to do, and because we've just started recently going live with some of our services on YouTube, um, we use a lot of Judy's music because we don't have to worry about copyrights. We don't have to worry about anything. And I bet people don't even think about that. A minister sometimes has to think about all that too. Yeah, I agree. Probably because we're in Nashville, you know, because we're in Nashville, that is, it's, it's on our minds, you know, as far as, is paying respect to who wrote, who wrote it, who wrote the song and making sure they get credit for everything. And that, you can't just use everybody's music without going through some sort of process to make sure that happens. Well, I think, too, the neat thing was just last November, you two were the keynotes at our Fall into the Stillness retreat that we do. And, and what was so amazing about it is, number one, not only how well you both work together. I mean, you get a lot of practice at it. But the music 
that was was being performed, the music that set the the tone for every event at the retreat. People, I mean, people were just so filled with light and love. And um, you know, I remember one of my favorite songs that you've written is uh, is it "Let Me Be Blinded." Is that the Yes. That I mean, that song. I still go back on my Facebook page and play that video clip of of you playing it and Denise singing it, because it literally. I mean, for, there's some people who don't understand the power of music, and there's ministers I've met that don't really care about music, and I tell them, you stand back and you turn around and you look at your congregation when the right music is playing, and you will see that music. Music will reach people in a way that the, the message from the minister or the guest speaker cannot touch them. And then there's other people who never even tap their toenail. You know what I mean? But I, I feel <laughs> right. music, music sets the tone for me to get up and do what I do. Well, and, and I believe that that's the music minister and music director's job is to set the stage, set the tone so that your job of speaking the minister's job of speaking is is easier. It's easier it, it, because the tone has already been set in people's mind based on the music that's been played or sung. Right. You know, I I think this is so interesting, us talking about this piece about services and all that, and I would like for us to pick Judy's brain a little bit about just music in general and what it does for people in the world because, you know, yes, it makes a huge difference in our services, but music makes a huge difference in all of our lives, you know, in many, many different ways. And, of course, a lot of people that know Judy know that we call her Dr. Judy. She has her doctorate in in music and did um, a lot of her work around understanding, you know, how music affects us and how music affects students in school and different kinds of things. So, Judy, what do you want to share about that kind of thing? Well, I love sharing that information because as as a high school band director and choir director for years and years, I love to see the looks on parents' faces when they realize that this activity their child is involved in or is about to be involved in really has monumental value in terms of the development of their brain. Harvard did a huge study on this in 2001. Uh, one of the things that I found fascinating is that kids who learn to play an instrument, learn to sing, are involved, uh, even if they don't major in music. And I think sometimes people think that people like me, that's what they're trying to get them to when they recruit them for band or recruit them for choir. But... Uh, Forbes magazine, the the top 1,000 companies, their executives, 73% of their executives of the top 1,000 companies were involved in their high school band or choir. <laughs> I mean, that that's just, that's monumental. Part of my research was about um, how studying music affects test scores. Because after all, we have become about <laughs> test scores in education, unfortunately. Uh, and on the SAT, the music students scored 57 points higher on the verbal section 
and 41 points higher on the math section. You know, and I could just go on and on and on about mm. that because it's it's pretty well documented at this point. You know, but what do you uh, what do you think not, that's about? I mean, that I mean, we had do- Dr. Jerry Levine on last episode, and she works with mm. the brain, and and so that's fascinating to me. That so, what do you think is happening in the brain when they're studying music that would cause the brain to open more for them to do better in their testing? Well, I think for one thing because you're using your left and your right part of, of your brain. In fact, there's some research that says that mass of nerves that connects the left to the right brain is thicker in the brains of musicians than in non-musicians. And I think that's about coordination. I think that's I think, about I learning. I think, Jamie, some of that, and Judy and I have talked about this a lot, I think some of it is... You know, sometimes people think about music as I'm just singing or having a good time. But, you know, I think about both of my sons, and they did marching band in a school here in Nashville. And I remember the first time I saw my oldest son after he had gone to band camp that first year when he was, you know, just beginning high school. And I watched him play the saxophone and march on the field at the same time and I was like, I started crying. I was like, I don't know how he can do all that. You know, when you think about people that are playing the piano or singing or playing an instrument, and not only is music coming out, but their brain is working on which one of these keys am I going to push next and how much am I going to blow. And, you know, there's so many different parts of the brain working at the same time. Even just singing a song, I do it pretty much without even thinking about it at this point in time because I practiced for so many years. But you have to think about where that note is resonating. Is it resonating in your head? Is it resonating in your chest? How much breath control do I need to be able to hold this note out as long as I need to? How many words have to fit into this thing? There's so many things going on in your mind all at the same time, and I don't think people really think about how... I wouldn't say that musicians have to be smarter, but to be able to pull all that off have got to have all these areas of their brain working together in some sort of an organized way. It's, and it's that makes sense, internal, Dr. Judy? Yeah, the internal coordination that's going on to produce music in someone's brain. You know, it's it's. I think that's what is showing up in the test scores. You know, I... Even people who have not read anything about what we're talking about or know anything what we're talking about, think about kids who can memorize pieces of music. Most of the time, those kids are going to do better because they have that photogenic brain thing, for one thing, going on. But then again, there's some more research about that, too, that their auditory attention to what they're doing makes it easier for them to remember information. That making that makes sense. It does make sense, and what I'm thinking about is like this past weekend at the retreat I was at. I was talking about a little earlier when we first started the show. Um, Dr. Kenny Smith was on on the grounds at Edwin's property. That's her son-in-law, and he came into the room to do a chanting time with everyone who was participating in the retreat. You know, and I, I mean, I, I've done chanting, not you know, I mean, it's like you know, shamalama ding dong, shamalama ding dong. Right. <laughs> I, I was so blown away when he got all of us 
first we started with just the, the simple OM, which a lot of people yeah. used to make fun of spirituality, go, OM. It was, I mean, you could have shot through the ceiling, but I, what I realized in the moment, because we did it for like 10 minutes, was my body, I, I kept mm-hmm. thinking I'm going to roll right out of the chair. So we've been talking about what happens with test scores, which would be mental, and then to, to move into the vibration, I think all of it has vibrations, and I, I'm going somewhere with this, I think, is if we feel <laughs> the vibration within our being, that to me is, again, the connection with the, the universe, because they say the universe is made up of sound and tones. and So my thing is, is being Dr. Judy, but also being the music director of a unity church and the majority of the music that you write has to do with not religion, but about spirituality. Is it easy for you to take the heady stuff, the trained education that you got to be a doctor of music? And then also to realize when you're, you're creating a song about that there is a feeling in the tone and the vibration of the song. Absolutely, and I guess part of that is because I grew up going to church, and I realized very, very, at a very young age, how important it was, I don't think I fully understood it, for people to be able to sing, and for because it anchors, it anchors the thought of, of whatever you're singing, it anchors it in your entire body, and on that basis alone... I have attempted to produce praise and worship songs, meditation songs that everybody could be a part of because I believe if they can sing it, then it's going to go right into their soul or come right out of their soul, whichever way you want to think about it. But that anchors that thought. You know, my fundamental belief about all of this is that music connects you to your infinite, your higher power, whatever you want to call it, more than anything else that there is. Now, I'm I'm sure there's some people that have not experienced it on that level, but think about how music can open people's heart. Think about the emotional side of that. You know, how the biggest moments in our lives, weddings, funerals, church services, graduation. We don't do anything that we don't have music involved. And I think that's because it's connected to our hearts and it's connected to our emotions. And it enhances what we're feeling, what we're thinking, those words. You know. Well, and even if there are no words, I know um, I, for five years, worked with Metro Nashville School System. And they started something about a year after I started working with them that I was really surprised, even though I knew that it would work, because I've always been a counselor in school settings. And I always set up my office where it is very uh, friendly to whatever kinds of kids, whatever ages. And I always had some very nice, calm um wonderful energetic kinds of music playing in the background something that i felt would would be calming would feel good to kids whatever age and when i started at in metro schools the last little stint that i did with them 
they actually came through and let us play certain kinds of music while kids were taking tests. Because somebody in the upper echelons of metro schools had read some research that certain kinds of music have what is called the Mozart effect, which was Mm -hmm. a study that was done years and years ago when I actually was a music teacher um, back in the 80s that there was a certain effect that it had on children or adults, that there are certain music that you can play that is calming and can settle your brain down so that you can think more clearly. And one of the kinds of music was actually music that was written by Mozart, because that's why Mm -hmm. they said he was a genius, because he created certain musical patterns that, when overlaid in your brain, set up a vibration so that you could learn things easier, so that you could regurgitate the things that you needed to in a test setting, so that you could calm yourself down. And just like some of the music that, Jamie, you were were talking about, there are certain chants, there are certain ways that uh, music clinicians have begun to understand that get us in more connection with the spiritual side of life on some I, I i equate it to a singing bowl that my body is like a singing singing bowl and what i'm actually doing is tuning it up while i'm singing so i think there are many many aspects out in the world today that are beginning to understand how important music is i mean you can't even go to the grocery stores out hearing music or in a restaurant or in an elevator or anywhere yeah think about think about the music corporation you know, you absolutely, I believe, can modify people's behavior, people's thought patterns, and and yes, most most of what they use is instrumental, rather than sung, anything that's sung. But you know, it's programmed a certain way in elevators. I know that in restaurants. I, I read this big study one time. Music programmed what was being played so that at the peak moments in the day, people we're hearing and eating faster so that the turnover in the restaurants could be greater. <laughs> you know? Now the next time Jamie goes in a restaurant, he's going to go, turn yeah. that music down. Because <laughs> yeah, it has to, has to do with, well, you know Kenny Malone hates it, our wonderful, incredible drummer. But I, I, it absolutely modifies behavior. I notice that within myself if I am feeling anxious and, and I hear a certain type of music, it can either help <laughs> Or make me just a little bit crazier. And, and Nisi, you know what I'm talking about. I do. Um, I do. I do. But what about yeah, it for you, Jamie? Behavior. How does that kind of thing, I know you love music, and so how does it affect you as far as just your well-being and your personality and lots of things? Well, you know, I go if I go into a store or even an office and there's no music, I will usually say to them, hey, what's up? with no music and they said we're not allowed and I said you know they played music in funeral homes for dead people right. <laughs> I, I mean come on I, I love the music the whole thing and it, that's what I was saying in the beginning Sunday morning the opening music I don't micromanage it I will say if I don't like something I will let them know I did not care for that right. um, but that opening music is what sets the tone for the service especially for me to get up and give, give a message. And so right. I, I think it's major important. 
And I, and I guess one of the things too, I mean, it's kind of a twofold question. So first I'm going to ask uh, Judy is the creative process um, to me is because there are your music, it, it vacillates in style to the, the, how fast it is or how slow, because like you're saying, you've got right. praise and worship meditation. What mode do you, do you have to prepare to go sit down and write a song or do you just sit for a moment and let spirit flow through you and speak to you? How did, what is your creative process for writing? Most music? of the time, most of the time, Jamie, I just sit at the piano and I've done this with a guitar a time or two too, but I usually just sit at the piano and I think about, okay, we need a certain kind of song, you know, and I, I try to get my vibration tuned in to whatever that is. And sometimes I sit and play a little bit before I try to start this because that helps me get get there mentally about what we want to do. You know, I'm I'm pretty much in a good mood all the time and, and writing stuff like Let's Get This Party Started, <laughs> which is one of our opening songs at church. Right. You know, I think that says a certain thing to people who are not necessarily church savvy, if you know what I mean. This is a happy right. place. We want the vibration in here. We want to raise the roof in here, you know. So I think about where we're trying to go with that song when I'm writing it. Uh, some of the stuff that I have written that I have loved the most, it just goes right through. I can hardly write it down on the paper fast enough because it just comes to me so quickly, and that's when I know, yeah, I'm not doing this at all. <laughs> you know, somebody else way bigger than me is just using me as an instrument to get this this music out to people. Well, I know and that. And I always... But when you're creative like that, I mean, it's kind of like asking a parent, who's your favorite child? But right. is there, is there <laughs> a few things that you've uh, created that we could list as being more endearing to your, your heart. And then I want to ask Denise the same thing of, of the stuff you've written, but I always wonder that, you know, it's like when you, people write books, you go, is there one that you go, I am so proud of that. Is, are there a few of the songs that really stand out to you on a more personal level than others? Sure. Sure. And I, and I think that would be true for every songwriter. Um, uh, the Blinded by the Spirit that you love so much. Right. That's that's one of my personal favorites. Uh, Heal Me, that I think you play, you may have played that on the last yep. show, Denise and Jamie. Mm -hmm. uh, we Are the Ones, again, Denise and Jamie duet on that. I don't know if you've used that one or not. Yeah. Um, people Love Salvation Song. Uh, people Love Salvation Song was something I wrote when I first started teaching show choir 35 years ago, and it was making a point about how we all, it, it, as Denise says, if somebody asks Judy what her music is about, and I guess these are the ones that speak to me the most, it, it's like, why can't we just all love each other and get along? You know, lay down those differences. Why can't we just all love each other and get along? And the ones that, that speak to that subject matter usually are my favorite ones. Okay. And so the other um, question yeah. before I let Den before I let Denise tell me what some of her favorites are that she's performed that you've done, 
Do you think that, you know, this is always interesting to me too. I mean, you were saying you grew up in church. Did your parents realize that you had a, a gift for music early on? And what was their take on some of the, the music that you've written? You know, uh, my dad has been gone for a long, long time and never really heard a lot of the things that I wrote. My dad taught me how to play the blues on the piano because Mm -hmm. that's what he knew how to do. My mother wanted me to be able to play the church hymns. Uh, And I got in trouble as a child at one point (laughs) because I wanted to play boogie woogie with my left hand, no matter what church hymn we were singing. (laughs) So, you know. Much much to their chagrin, but everybody got over it. So <laughs> everybody lived through it. Uh, but they were very, very supportive of me playing music. And my, my dad was a self-taught musician. Music was a huge part of my life always. So it was no surprise to them, you know. But they were supportive. And, and I guess I didn't start writing early enough to share a whole lot of it with them. Right. So Denise, what is what are some of the ones that you perform that Judy's done that that really I mean mean the most to you? Well, I would have to say the one that probably touches me at the deepest place is a song called Overwhelmed. And I don't even yeah, know if you've ever that heard one. that. I think it's on a prayer circle C D that she has. But it speaks to that place inside of me and I think let me back up and say that I had a congregant one time say to me, it must be nice to be somebody's muse. And I thought, what in the world does that mean? (laughs) But I think what it means to me now, after all these years, is that uh, Judy has kind of used my own spiritual journey, because I've talked to her about it so much over the almost, we'll be seven, we have been in a relationship for 17 years in July. And she's been the number one person I've talked to all these years about my spiritual journey. And she has created songs along the way that have to do with where I was at the moment. And I think when I first got into unity and really began to understand how freeing this way of life was, she wrote a song called Overwhelmed, Overwhelmed with All I Feel, Overwhelmed with Something So Real. And it was like, and sometimes it takes my breath away. And that song to me is like me. It's like when I sing that song, it's like Holy Spirit takes over me, and I don't even know what I've done until the song is over with. So that probably is one of the songs that's that way. She wrote another song that I sing that I love called Be Still and Listen which is totally about what happens when you get into the practice, as we were talking about earlier, of meditation and living this life. And be still and listen because you'll know what you're missing. Because sometimes our minds are flowing so fast and so many things are going on, we forget to just be still and be in the present moment and be mindful of what's going on. And then you go, wow. I might have missed this moment if I hadn't have just been still. But I will also have to say that a song that we do as a congregation right now, every Sunday morning at the end of our Sacred Walk of Abundance, and I will have to say to you, Jamie, thank you so much for sharing that process with us because we have started doing it, and our congregation Mm -hmm. loves it. It's been an amazing process for us to do. But at the end of that, 
Judy wrote a song called We Choose Peace, which is the theme of our whole year and had to mm-hmm. do with our peace day that we had here, and we sing that song every Sunday morning. And I watch how the minute she starts playing that and our praise and worship team walk back up to the edge of the stage after we've had the sacred walk of abundance, that the whole congregation stands and sings that in such a way that it pulls everybody together. And it almost makes me want to cry because I'm like, look at that. That's the power of Dr. Judy Blackwelder and her music and her words and the way she crafts it all together, and it pulls the message together and puts a bow on it. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Like you and have to the be thing. there to experience it. Right. So for anyone listening, I mean, I'm telling you, Dr. Judy has songbooks available to use for your congregation, or if you're someone who just wants to sing and sit at the piano and play, we'll have her tell about how you can get that. But also, if you're ever in the Nashville area, there are several New Thought churches in the area there in Nashville. Unity of Music City is my favorite place to go. It is because it is so out of the box, so joy-filled. The, the singing that takes place there, if you look on the YouTube channel for Unity of Music City, you will see what I'm talking about. They are enthusiastic. I've sat in on their choir rehearsals. And I'm just blown away at the joy and the enthusiasm. And this is what this whole topic is about, the power of music. People who are depressed, people who have gone through a trauma, there's something about when they engage in music, whether listening to it, performing, singing, whatever the case may be, it it changes people at depth. And that's one of the, the most wonderful things about this ministry, this minister and this outstanding music director who does what she does. So, I mean, the next question I guess I have is, has there ever been a time, Judy, that you felt you were blocked, that nothing was flowing through, and how did you overcome it? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Yay. Denise, what are you laughing about? <laughs> I just want to hear what you say. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's when I get blocked, when I get so caught up with, I got to be here, I got to be there, I got to do this, I got to do that. And I don't take time to connect on a personal level. And so what I have to do is just make myself put everything else aside. And again, if I can get to a piano and just be alone can get to a piano and sit there and play sometimes for no more than five to ten minutes, I can get in that zone. And it's it's taken me years and years to figure that out because I would go, okay, we've got to have a new opening song for Sunday morning. i got to sit down and write it right now. And this is on the heels of having been at school all day and got a rehearsal to be at at night, and I've got 30 minutes to get the song done before choir, the choir comes in, and I'm like, you know, I usually do not like those, <laughs> the way that turns out. So it's a matter of, I guess, and, and Denise did a lesson on this. Everybody meditates differently. My meditation is sitting at that piano and connecting to God with those piano keys. And that opens up the channels for me. Not not always easy to do just because of, you know, life sets in. 
and uh, there's so many so many things going on all the time. But well, you've that's, recently that's, retired, correct? I did for 39 years in public schools. And so, so what I'm in the world are you going to do? <laughs> well, you sound like a lot of people. Uh, or my favorite has been, well, now that you're retired, you can do. Well, now that you're retired, you can do. You know. So I intend to play more, and I intend to write more. And I intend to relax, and I intend for Denise and I to do some things that we've wanted to do for years. You know, I love to play for her to sing. I love to write songs for her. So we're kind of, school's been out three weeks now. We're kind of trying to settle into our own routine of how we're going to do this this stuff. And, you know, Jamie, you know I've said this to you before, and I say this to Judy all the time, but I've said it even louder since we've been at the Unity Conference last week. You know, I believe that the world needs her music. And I believe that now that she's retired and that she can get it out there in ways that people can get to it, I don't think this is just, you know, unity churches or just new thought churches. I think there's a lot of her music that a lot of different people would love to hear and sing or listen to. And, again, I, you know, I've said this to her, and she looks at me and goes, we don't believe in sin, but I believe it's a sin that it's not out there. I think we, I think Judy and I now are at the place in our lives where we can focus on getting it out into the world, whatever that means. Right, and I, I think that's a great idea because, you know, what you two did at the retreat for Fall into the Stillness last November, um, you know, I mean, I've had the privilege of knowing you both for a while. But I think, you know, other than Sunday morning, the energy in a retreat or a conference is different than a Sunday morning service. What I saw was there was a flowing that took place. I mean, when Judy would sit down at the piano, I mean, it was just like pouring energy. And then you would step up. And I love the way that you would speak and you would sing and you would weave. Both of you were weaving all of that together, creating this sacred energy in this room for these people who came to come apart for a while and and relax and revive and renew themselves. And so I said at that retreat, I said, you know, when when you do retire, I really think um, it would be amazing for you guys to do more retreats for churches, for groups, um, to have people feel that. I think it would be outstanding. Popped in my head a minute ago when Judy was speaking. Um, I've always wanted to learn how to write a song. I can start singing something in the shower, in the car. I never finish it. So for there to be workshops for music ministries, workshops for people who have fear of singing, that could also be woven into some of these retreats that you guys might do in the future. I agree. You know, Jamie Sanders, we've said for a while, and we were going to get you to help us plan it, but I think we need a music conference in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, You know, I'm not trying to overshadow anything that the Unity Movement does at all, but I think a lot of people would love to come to Nashville, Tennessee, just because it is such a music mecca, and, you know, come and do some fun things like that, and then who knows who we might see out on the road when we're wandering around, so... So Judy's Judy's quiet. Judy, are you open to that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, and Denise and I have talked about all those possibilities for years and and look forward to making some of that a reality. Absolutely. I would love to do that. And I would love to help people who have those songs inside themselves. 
you know, and can't quite finish, can't quite finish them, can't quite get them out, you know. That would be a delight for me to be able to do that. Yeah, I was with a couple of ministers last night, and, you know, they're, they're starting a new ministry. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff to pioneering a new ministry and trying to build a congregation. And one of the challenges, of course, you know, for most churches and new thought, especially that I've seen, it's either youth education or it's a music program. Yeah. And so to me, to have some sort of here's, you know, I mean, you, you can't always tell people you have to do this, you have to, but to give people an idea <clears throat> that even if there was coaching for ministries, music programs, um, to say, okay, here's what we mean by the right song at the right time. And here's what we mean by uh, teaching your choir what it means to harmonize and to be enthusiastic when they perform. One of the things I love about you guys' choir that you have there at the church, I mean, they all stand out. I mean, but I think it's Pat Upchurch. I mean, she just gets into this now. I mean, I love watching (laughs) videos. And you have them dressing the same for some of the services. I mean, that builds that energy that I think a lot of people would love to have in their ministry, and they don't even know where to begin. So right. I support you guys right. in doing that. You know, one of our desires is to eventually, you know, do more of that kind of thing, um, go into some churches and just, I don't know if you want to say we'd be consulting with them or what, but I think right. there's I think there's a lot of churches that just don't know how to make this happen. And, you know, Judy and I have done this for so many years. We know how to walk in and go, okay, here's what you've got to work with. And the beauty that Judy brings to the table is she has the ability to, you know, hear the voices you've got and create something that she knows they can sing, not just bring in some, you know, and I got a Davida, and they've got to try to pull it off. But, you know, she will go, okay, here's your vocal ranges, and here I know this is what you can pull off, and writing something specifically for them, which yeah. on the in the end is going to make everybody happier. It's going to make the, the service flow better and everybody happier. So, Judy, here's the, here's the yes. issue I've seen in church. And some music directors um, don't want to go here. But when I always tell my, my choir, if I come out of my office on Sunday mornings when they're warming up and I stand there and look at them, it's one or two things. Either I am blown away or somebody's off pitch. Do you tell <laughs> – I have an ear. I can hear it. Do, do you tell someone in, when you're working, whether it was in band or whether it, you're working with a choir – how do you tell someone without busting them in their kneecaps that you're off pitch? <laughs> well, first, I can't wait to hear what you're going to say about this one. <laughs> first of all, you have those conversations in private. You know, it's it's the old educational teaching ad, adage, praise in public, correct in private, you know. Oh, okay. And, and – the other thing that I do is if I sense somebody's having trouble getting on a part or something, I suggest that they stand or sit by somebody that I know is going to nail that part every time because that will fix a multitude of problems right there. Now, there's been a few times in 
with choirs and with band, I've just said, we need to find you another way to to serve this organization. You know, this is not your talent or skill. Yeah, because it it really doesn't work for anybody. It really doesn't work for anybody. Um, you know, I think the last time our choir sang, probably a couple of weeks ago, they were like in in warm up. They were just hanging off the rafters, and I said, "You guys are scaring me." Because <laughs> you're so up on it right now, that's always a little bit scary to me. And sure enough, we got into the song, one of the songs they were doing, and some of them forgot the lyrics. And that that would be the other thing that I would say to choir directors out there. Have them memorize their music. Don't put a book between them and their audience. Memorize your music. You know, right. it, it's... Do something <laughs> because it blocks right. the energy. It's an energy block. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense to you. Well, it does. We had a we had a very well known speaker come here one time, and he's you know very funny, very outspoken. And he told me, turned to me during the beginning of the service, they were using their um, sheet music, holding their sheet music, and he said he found it um, offensive. And I was yeah. taken back by it. I was like, wow. I mean, you know, my first thought was, well, who asked you? But <laughs> I, I I see what you're saying, and I never thought of it in the way that there's it's a block between. So what what it's an energy done, block? Yeah, what we've done is we've now gone. To, we've done away with the sheet music, and we put a monitor um, yes. in front of them. And most people don't even realize they're looking at a monitor. I was at oh, the we've got that too. I love that. I, and when I was in Omaha at, at Becky Whitehead's church, I kept noticing the the, the choir group, the six singers they had. I, I turned around and I looked and they were shooting the words gigantic on the back wall. And I was like, Oh, what a clever idea. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, right. So. But you know, if you have, if you have singers that are savvy enough, I know before we ever even had PowerPoint or any of that, Jamie London and myself can write words so big that, they look like they're on a poster board and put them on a little music stand over to the right somewhere and just casually make eye contact with them just occasionally. So, you know, that's another thing that you can teach people Mm -hmm. is uh, sometimes if I am, because I have a tendency sometimes to get so caught up in what I'm singing that sometimes in the middle of it, I go, well, hell, I don't even remember where I am in the song. And so, I take the first word or two of each section and just stick it there so that I can visually attach myself to it if I need to in the middle of a song. But there are many, many little tricks and things that you can teach people to do to not have a sheet of music right in front of your face, if that makes sense. Because, yeah, it is. It's blocking your energy with people in the audience. Well, here's the other question that I know a lot of ministers will ask when we're, we get together, and so this is a, a, another good one for, for Dr. Judy, is do, is your band and your choir paid? No. No. Okay. They are not uh, at this point. Right. Uh, and there again, Jamie, that may be one part of that is people – are singing because they're just loving to give their time and their treasures, which their treasures in part is their voice, their time and their talent. But the other thing too, and and this is a cultural and a location thing. We're in Nashville, Tennessee. 
We have some of the best at our disposal all of the time, you know, just because they want to do it. Thank heavens, you know. But your band is incredible. Yeah. And those people have relationships with Judy and myself and the church and have been, Kenny Malone has been playing the drums for our church for, you know, 20 years and has very seldom ever missed a Sunday morning, and he does it as part of his time, talent, and treasures that he gives right. to our church. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say earlier, honey. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And Kenny, I mean, Kenny was a, is a well-known musician in Nashville, correct? Yes, he is. The Judy, number you want to one say anything about him? Number one requested session drummer in Nashville for years and years. Has played with everybody that's anybody including Ray Charles and the Nashville Symphony. He, you know, um, he has a degree in music. Played with Fleetwood Mac for a while, yeah. Played with Fleetwood Mac. Uh, he still gets called in all the time. And, and he's 78 years old. But he's such an incredible musician that he still is just, you know, on top of his game, and people would love to have him. Some, sometimes when I sit and think about it on Sunday morning, I'm just like, oh, my God. Kenny Malone is sitting just to my right playing the champagne drum. (laughs) Back in the day when I was the music minister, he would always, we would have a conversation on Saturday night about the music that was going to be played because he really doesn't need anything. He just wants to know what it is and if it's jazz or if it's country or whatever it is and give him a little bit of a something, something. And so he called me one Saturday earlier, and he said, Denise, I'm not going to be able to be there tomorrow. And that happened occasionally. And I said, wow, so where are you going? He said, well, I'm flying to Oprah Winfrey's home because she's having a birthday party for Maya Angelou, and I'm playing. (laughs) And I was like, wow, "Wow." (laughs) excuse me, wow. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the kind of musicians that we have in Nashville, Tennessee. we have. Yeah, I thought you were going to tell the story about telling him or asking him if he had ever heard the song I'd like to teach the world to sing that you were going to use. And he said, yes, I played on the original recording of it. Right. That's so. pretty funny, too. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, when you ask about our musicians, our musicians are actually, and, and you would have many ministers have different opinions about this, but our musicians are friends of Judy and I, and they give their time and talents to the church in that way, if that makes sense. And so even even our sound guy does the same thing, and if some of them are going to be gone, they find people that will take their place for the Sunday they're going to be gone. So we don't really even have to worry about having musicians or having sound people because they take care of it themselves. They're very, very responsible, very, very dedicated, and, you know, they're, they're our dear, dear friends, and, and it works really well when, it's, when you can add that into it too. Yeah, I remember one of my favorite, one of my favorite times I came, I was speaking, and um, – Denise had said to me, oh, you're going to love the singer this morning. And I'm like, yeah, you hear that all the time. Oh, you're going to love the singer, yeah. whatever. <laughs> and I'm a music person, but rarely do I want to pass out. And Sherry Phillips. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so she opened her yeah. mouth to sing it. I turned and looked at Denise, and she was like, I told you. And, I mean, <laughs> Sherry Phillips is unbelievable. I have, I have not been to Unity of Music City and ever left going, what a – sucky service that was 
Right. And even and you're talking well, about your sound man. You know what I mean? Your sound guy. When I first time I spoke at Unity Omaha, which Becky Whitehead came from your church, and she's right. the minister there. I went back to the sound thing, and they were so professional. And I was like, wait a minute. Becky learned how this is done yeah. at Unity of Music City. And so, I mean, yeah. people learn from you guys, and they carry it on out into the world. Well, you know, being a singer myself, the sound person, I will promise you, we love Dave, and we love on him every Sunday because a sound guy can make you or break you. <clears throat> Yep. Very easily. And so, you know, I would say to all ministers out there, be kind to your sound person because they hold the key <laughs> to whether it is a wonderful experience or a sucky one. They can make you look really good or not. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a minute before we get ready to close this segment out about um, where can people who are listening find or contact you about uh, purchasing some of the songbooks, uh, the CDs that are available that you guys have recorded through the years, so that people can even begin to follow um, what you're going to be doing when, you know, you really get your feet on the ground from this little uh, glitch in the road called retirement, and that you're, <laughs> <laughs> and that you're going to be out on the road. Well, I would say that right now, let me back up and say that, that we have this friend, great friend, who is doing a website for us. And eventually you will be able to download music like MP3s and sheet music from that website. I would say immediately if somebody wants to reach out to me for something, they either need to just find me on, on Facebook. That's That's probably the easiest way. Or we have a new phone number which will serve for my music company and Denise's High Vibration Zone, which my music company is actually a part of that. And that number is 615-924-7351. Why don't you say that number one more time, Judy, Judy? 615-924-7351. Seven three five one. Okay, and so Denise, I'm going to ask you to. Someone's listening, music director by chance, or minister in a ministry, wanting to build their music program. If they were to request a songbook of Judy's for retraining how they do what they do with their music, which one would you recommend as a starter? Um, I would say practical praise would be the where I would start. Would you not, Judy? Yeah, because that's an because easy one that to... was one of the first song books that she ever put together, and this is a culmination of songs that are very singable by your congregation. Because, you know, not to speak negatively about anything anybody's got out there, but a lot of times what people are putting out there are solo songs for people to sing. But if you're starting in a small congregation, you may not have somebody who can come in and sing a solo, but you've probably got people that can, you know, come in there and help the congregation sing a praise and worship song or sing something coming out of meditation. And so practical praise would be the one that I would say would be the one you want to start with. And there's a CD that goes with that so that you can hear 
the songs also, and then there's a, a book of the songs. So, you know, sometimes people like to hear it too, other than just getting the sheet music. Yeah, I agree with you because sometimes, you know, especially when you're, you're getting some of your congregants to join the choir, if they do not read sheet music, they really, it's so good that they can hear the song and learn right, it that right. way. And then they have an idea how it works. So I think that's perfect. So Judy, I just want to say thanks. I know, you know, you're Thank probably you. still busy, but having you on, and we want to have you back from time to time because, I mean, it's Sounds just good. easy talking to you. So Thank you for being with us today. Love you so much. Thank you for having me. Love you too, Jamie. So do you like her, Denise? Tell the truth. I like her a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I do too. I do too. So anyway, folks, as always, it's a blast doing what we do here on this show. We want to thank you for listening and supporting us by sharing our program with your friends. And by posting the link to these shows on your Facebook and Twitter accounts as well. Denise, is there any closing comments you'd like to make before we get ready to end? I would just like to say to people that living a life without music would just be a mistake. And so I would say just start paying attention. Be mindful of where you hear music in your life and how it changes you or affects your day. I agree. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jamie Sanders. And I'm Denise Shurkin. Reminding you to be good to yourself, to be good to others, and keep spreading the light. If you're in the Nashville area, you have got to go on Sunday mornings to Unity of Music City. We leave you now with the music of Dr. Judy Blackwelder and the song, We Choose Peace. Until next time, goodbye.